재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. And we're back. Uh, we're continuing our discussion on AlphaGo. It's been in the news quite a bit here in Korea. Uh, a lot of talk on who won, who lost, and maybe some of the controversy, some grumblings about uh, the data not being shared. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, this is an important advance, advancement in the field of artificial intelligence. So we'd like to talk more about that, uh, maybe discuss some of the broad ramifications of AI technology, uh, wow, how it will affect various facets of your daily life, uh, both in positive ways and perhaps um, some things to be cautious about. You can give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message. We're going to be joined by a computer science expert from abroad very shortly here in the studio. Once again, Professor Hwang Jong-wook. Um, you mentioned some of the uh, examples of where we already see AI touching our lives, uh, whether it is through Google search algorithm or uh, various uh, mobile applications and uh, even how uh, exciting technologies like uh, driverless cars now are going to maybe be a more mainstream part of our lives as well. But, okay, you wonder, and and a lot of people often talk about how this affects now our uh, occupations. A lot of these jobs now are automated, largely in the factories. Robots can do a lot Mm -hmm. of things that uh, humans, uh, maybe some of the more menial stuff that uh, humans were needed for are no longer uh, necessary, and that has certainly profound implications on the economy and people as to uh, how they can make a living. As a a lawyer or as a as a person who is a legal scholar, th- there does seem to be certain things that, and, and again, you can't really say definitively yes or no, but uh, things like law, you, it, it doesn't seem like a machine will be able to, let's say, make an oral argument or uh, have a brilliant cross-examination or issue great rebuttals. Aren't there things that certainly are beyond uh, a, a robot or artificial intelligence machine's control in, in terms, at least specifically in the context of law? Well, I guess I'll say this about law. I mean, a lot of people might think that the field of law is very logical, very uh, intellectual yeah. and yeah. so forth. But there's also a very famous saying within law that says that the life of law is experience, not logic. So in a lot of a sense, the law, the law doesn't really try to be logical as much as it tries to uh, reflect what the society feels. And if the law goes in a completely diff- different direction, uh, as opposed to what the society is doing, you know, the, the law by itself does, can't survive or the doesn't is to change. So in that sense, I don't think that kind of movement can be automated. But sure, a lot of you know pra- practices within the field of law have, uh, will change and has changed actually. You know, in a very basic sense, the world processing has changed about field of law or so, you know, searching for different precedents and law, all kinds of, you know, uh, you know basic search technologies, yeah. you know, as now we know, all know with, you know, search engines like Google has also changed law. So, you know, it will change, but to, us, uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, the law reflects society, I don't think it's, it's sure. that much of a danger of being automated. Right. So, for example, uh, a brilliant jurist who can, who memorized thousands of cases and, and can just bring it off off the top of its head may not be as necessary now where you just have all that access, uh, that data, and you can bring it up instantaneously. Maybe things like court reporters or stenographers, they, they can probably automate that type of thing. But of a Supreme Court justice trying to make a decision on a very, very important case that could alter society dramatically, those are things you still would 
want to feel that there is a human touch needed, right? Exactly. I mean, such choices that you mentioned are more of political and social choice rather than a logical choice. So to to that extent, I think we still need a human touch. Let's now get the thoughts of Professor Mark Bishop. Uh, He is from the University of London uh, Computing, and we'll find out more about the technology itself, artificial intelligence, and maybe what the future holds. Uh, I think the connection may not be be made yet. So we're going to try to uh, reconnect with Professor Bishop. Uh, We've been discussing AlphaGo, and of course, it's been in the context here in Korea because of the fact that the world champion Yi Zhedol went against him. Uh, A lot of optimism, a lot of hope that humans would emerge triumphant. It was a point of pride here for many Koreans as well, and to the dismay of uh, millions of people here, it was found that AlphaGo uh, really did have the upper hand as we've seen so far. I think we have that connection made now. Uh, Professor Mark Bishop, hello. Hello. Professor Bishop, thank you so much for joining us. I think a lot of people, and I know this is going to be difficult to do in the in, in, a, in the context of a radio interview, but it is still difficult for lay people to understand exactly how um, a machine like AlphaGo is able to adapt and improve itself in ways that mirror human cognition and intuition, specifically in the context of a game that everyone thinks is very complicated, like Go. Could you kind of explain that to us in a, I suppose, in a very, very uh, ELA-5 type of setting? Well, AlphaGo uses a combination of so-called deep convolutional artificial neural networks and reinforcement learning and Monte Carlo research to produce a playing system of exceptional power. It's currently 3-1 up, as we all know, in the world uh, against the world champion. However, in my opinion, it merely has superficial parallels to human intuition and cognition. As an analogy, a rocket motor can move humans at very high speed, but it's only got limited parallel with human bipedal locomotion. And we don't think that human runners are in some way challenged by the fact we can go much faster on a rocket. Mm. In fact, because AlphaGo doesn't know the meaning of any of the symbols it's so adroitly manipulating, it doesn't even know that it's playing Go, as opposed to playing chess, drafts, or even manufacturing toy rabbits. Now, I just want to get your thoughts as as far as uh, your general impressions on this match between AlphaGo and the, the Korean champion Yi Sedol. Uh, th- I, I think to the surprise of some people that uh, this uh, Google machine did lose one match against the South Korean player. Um, is this something that is remarkable? Is this the case of a human still able to, I suppose, eke out a, a victory? Or was it just simply maybe a, a tiny flaw in the algorithm that if you kind of just fix the code, it would be indestructible? Um well, it's very interesting that that that, that the that the match was won. The game, sorry, was won yesterday, um, and obviously this is AlphaGo's first real challenge at this level. It seems to me quite likely that, as because AlphaGo is a system that continuously can learn and improve itself, that even if it isn't at that point now, it's likely to be fairly soon reach a point where it's going to be extremely difficult for even the very best Go players to uh, win games against it. Professor Huang, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation. Do you believe that uh, further advancements in artificial intelligence and uh, the increasing number of av- available tasks that uh, machines can now undertake 
again, there's, there's this economic component of it, and we keep talking about retraining and finding new skills, but a large number of human jobs are at stake, right? Well, I mean, in the in history, we've had technologies replacing human jobs and creating new human jobs, and I'm sure that artificial intelligence will likely to be one of the uh, such technologies that will, you know, make a lot of the current jobs obsolete, but will also, uh, hopefully will create new jobs that we can't we can't even uh, imagine right now. I suppose one thing with AlphaGo that did surprise me a little bit was that uh, the the professional Go community in Korea was a little surprised by how much better AlphaGo was compared to when he played a European champion mm. last October. So I'm, uh, I am wonder if Professor Bishop has a uh, view on how fast AlphaGo managed to learn or at least surprise the Go community between the advancement it has made since October of last year as opposed to March of this year. Could you address that, Professor Bishop, as to the, the, the rate of improvement from that uh, earlier match with the European champion and right now with the uh, the, the Korean player how it seems now a, a completely different player in terms of its skill level well uh, as one of the ways that AlphaGo improves is by playing countless thousands and tens of thousands millions of games of Go against itself and it's doing that on incredibly uh, fast computer power so it's incredibly high performance computing that's required to run this system uh, in fact, some commentators have argued that, in a sense, that means it's not really a fair match, because if you look at the energy that's being consumed <coughs> by the human Go, Go player as he plays Go, and look at the energy that's consumed by AlphaGo, they're not really comparable. Uh, so you've got very, very fast uh, computing engines running very, very sophisticated Monte Carlo learning methods, which tend to play millions and millions of games. It isn't that surprising that, to me that it's making mm. um, fairly significant improvements in its strategy over time. We've talked about uh, chess being conquered. Perhaps uh, Go is now uh, the next game to fall. But uh, again, the people always bring up the um, the game of poker and how that is a very different beast. It is uh, a closed information game. Uh, the people feel that that human element in poker still is a significant challenge for a machine to be able to, I suppose, uh, be developed enough to, to beat any of the world-class players. Uh, do you feel that there are still some... Uh, technological challenges that remain for AI, for machine learning, to be able to uh, win a game like poker? Um, I'd, uh, yes, I do. Um, firstly, for example, al systems like AlphaGo are expertly programmed to do one task very well. They, they, when, when, they, when you want to reapply them, so reapply AlphaGo to play poker, you've got to fundamentally re-engineer the system. Mm. And it's a human that has to do that. In other words, current state-of-art systems like what we call general intelligence, the ability to apply knowledge from one domain directly across to another. Secondly, these current systems are not autonomous. They don't have their own goals. They're always engineered by their designers. In other words, they lack their own goal-driven teleological behavior. And thirdly, these systems are not conscious, nor ever will be. Of course, humans are. Mm. Now, if you take all those things together, when you try to exploit advances made in playing Go into another domain like playing poker, you've got huge engineering challenges that you've got to start off all over afresh. And as you mentioned, there's something uniquely human when you play a game like Go, sorry, a, a, a game like poker, especially when, of course, paradigmatically with poker, you take into account the betting element, the right. human interaction element. It seems that we're many, many years away from getting machines that will be able to compete with humans when you take all the social nuances into consideration. That said, there are already some, uh, very, uh, some AI programs that can do very well at simplified uh, forms of poker.
Professor Huang, in South Korea, inevitably, when you have a lot of media attention on something, then people wonder, well, uh, can South Korea get on board with this? Uh, we've been talking about growth engines, whether it's medical tourism or fintech and what have you. Is uh, AI something that Korea, you feel, needs to foster and develop? Well, it's an interesting area, but I'm not sure whether this is an area the government should actually target per se. In fact, you know, by doing so, I think it might actually give, you know, unwittingly giving subsidies to big companies that really shouldn't have such, you know, advantages given by government. So probably Korean Korean government is better off funding, you know, basic research, making sure that research gets done and can be disseminated in a, in a low-cost way and, you know, generally improving the infrastructure for, you know, the sciences and engineering rather than targeting certain industries. And Professor Bishop, this is a question that I posed to uh, another expert who's uh, joined us earlier. But when we see these advancements in machine learning and artificial intelligence, and inevitably when you see the fictional uh, depictions of uh, some of the doomsday scenarios, naturally people do get worried. Uh, Where do you stand on the idea of technological uh, singularity? Uh, Google's Ray Kurzweil, who would like to and predicts that this will happen in our lifetime. Do you feel that you, you seem to indicate that we are still a long ways away for machines to become self-aware or, or more intelligent uh, beyond human understanding? Well, it seems to me that it's very likely that any single, what we technically say, Turing computable task that humans set out to automate by AI will sooner or later be programmed to human-level performance. But that goal I alluded to in my earlier answer of getting a general intelligence, an artificial general intelligence that can apply knowledge from one domain immediately to another without human intervention, that seems much further away, if indeed it's possible at all. So I'm much more sanguine than commentators like Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking, mm. who graphically warn of the dangers of humans reaching a dead end in the evolutionary tree. It seems to me that because computers can neither be conscious, understand the meanings of the symbols they adroitly manipulate, or address or possess genuine mathematical insight, there will always be a gap, what I call a humanity gap, between the very best artificial intelligence and the human mind. And it's for that reason I don't fear the singularity as a human. Um, um, I don't, I don't, I, it's for that reason I don't fear the singularity is going to happen very, very soon, if at all. All right, and I suppose that should put people's minds at ease, at least the ones that that, uh, somehow fear some of the potential dire consequences of that. Overall, though, uh, there are certainly some benefits that we should be able to enjoy in our lifetime. We've been talking about driverless uh, technology. uh, That is something that's been prominent as far as media coverage is concerned. Can you just highlight some of the other things that uh, we can look forward to? I think your other commentator mentioned these things are benefits to one section of community, driverless cars, but there might be challenges to others. So we've already seen, for example, the rise of companies like Uber across the world putting traditional taxi cab firms out of business. Of course, Uber are very interested in driverless cars, so uh, those people who've managed to rejoin Uber as drivers, it could be that within a fairly short period of time, I mean, I'm expecting within five to ten years' time, we'll, we'll, we're going to see driverless cars on the roads of the UK mm-hmm. and probably around most of the rest of the world as well. We're going to see huge uh, changes in employment patterns. Um, this seems to me very likely. And uh, hopefully they, these new technologies, as the commentator, other commentators said, will also bring about new possibilities of future employment. In other words, in other, Otherwise, we'll have a very difficult situation with with large numbers of people facing unemployment and a very little future. All right, we will leave it there. Professor Mark Bishop, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate the time. Thank you. All right, uh, Professor Huang, as we uh, wind down this discussion, uh, okay, 
the professor seems relatively, I suppose, in terms of the the caution that Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking have been raising, uh, he feels that the the technology just won't be at that level where where we might have to worry about some kind of um, Transformers Autobot type of revolution <laughs> taking place here in this world. Well, I think uh, the technological challenges have been greater than that in the sense that we don't quite even know what human consciousness is like. The the neuroscience of human mind, and you know, you know, now you're getting into the world of philosophy in the sense that you know, is there a soul, and if if there is one, can you actually you know automate it? Even that that kind of question question scientists don't really have a great answer for that. So uh, one, you know, we don't really know the, the the ends of artificial intelligence research. On the other hand, we don't really know that much about you know what con- human consciousness is all about so i think uh, there will be many many hurdles or before we realize the full potential or if you realize that there are actually definite limits yeah. to what we can do with technology here's one thing that is a concern that i think is a real concern aside from all these science fiction uh type of worries is the idea of disruptive technologies and he uh, the professor mentioned uber how it's putting out uh, taxi drivers um basically they're all going to lose their jobs once they implement driverless technology into them obviously there are various uh, municipalities that try to block that type of change like here in seoul famously but that being said it does seem like with technology and these new ways of doing business people will get left behind we're seeing social discord already occur i mean a lot of the things you see in the united states with the whole political upheaval with donald trump Yes, uh, there is an element of other things like race, but there is also an element of people who have now maybe not kept up with the skills. And you keep talking about people need to be prepared for that. I think here in Korea, there is that similar risk that we have as a society and as workers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is definitely a social issue, not a technology issue. In one sense, you know, the, the, the Trump phenomenon in, in the United States, they, he's been actually going after international trade agreements. That actually is a similar argument as technology, both international trade and technology. Technology makes things efficient, and it actually you know, displaces some current workers and helps some new jobs. And idea is that you know, since things are more efficient, the society has more resources overall. But at the same time, same time, it creates winners and losers. Now, given that situation, what is the society is going to do? And a lot of countries around the world haven't been able to do well in a politically satisfying, mm. you know, equitable manner. And it is going to be a challenge. But it's not really a technology question as much as a social question. Right, and that is going to be arguably perhaps the bigger question that uh, will need to be answered as we get closer and closer to all of this uh, amazing technology. All right, we're going to leave it there. Professor Huang, as always, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you here on this brand new season, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you very much.